<laughs> Good morning again, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kevin Sanders, and I have the honor of serving as lead pastor here at Hope Church. And man, what a delight it is to be here together today. And now we prepare to hear the word of the Lord. Are you ready for a good word today? Okay. I like to hear that. I like to hear that. So let's get right into it. Andre Agassi is one of the most well-known, respected, successful tennis players of all time. He was incredibly driven, deeply disciplined, highly accomplished. Does anyone know how many like majors he won? Off the top of your head, I think it's like seven or eight. I forgot to double check. Look it up. You would think his greatest desire, his greatest delight was tennis. But in reality, he hated it. He hated it. He hated tennis. Not only that, despite winning so many major tournaments and a whole bunch of money, he was depressed. He was addicted to drugs. He was altogether miserable. And all of it stemmed from tennis. You see, why did he devote his entire life to tennis if it made him so miserable? Because his deepest desire, it wasn't tennis. His deepest desire was the approval of his father. His dad wanted him to succeed at tennis, so he wanted to succeed at tennis to gain the approval of his father, an approval he didn't seem to ever get. His desire ultimately was misplaced. Someone highly successful in the world's eyes, but his heart was a wreck. You could say that most of the troubles of this world come from misplaced desire. Think of some of the, the struggles we all deal with or that, that come to our shores, whether we ask them to or not. Think of the trouble of consumerism. We desire stuff and things more than we desire to be wise stewards of what God has given us. That's desire misplaced. Think about how we long for connection, but we might spend more time connected to our phones than the friend or spouse or kid who's just on the other side of our screen. Desire for connection, but the desire is misplaced. Or consider the heartache and the, 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 the heart-wrenching reality of infidelity. Someone also looking for connection, but instead of honoring the vows that they made before God and man, they instead find it in a fling, desire misplaced. Or think back to the garden. In the garden, instead of saying, I want to be with God and delight in his presence and walk with God, it's, I want to be just like God. Desire misplaced. We're wrapping up our series, Summer Break. And it sounds like bad news right now, but there's such good news for each of us in this place today because it is our longing to have our desire be in the right place. We've been talking this entire series about embracing the way of Jesus by reclaiming our heart's deepest desire. See, we, unlike Andre, Agassi, already have the approval of our Heavenly Father. And to live in response to that approval that we already have, 
is to delight in him. To delight in him. Say the word delight. Delight. He is our heart's desire. God alone. We get to live into it daily as we seek him and orient our lives around him. Do you remember the desire, dare I say the desperation, that you felt when you first gave your life to Jesus? Can you remember that moment? Do you remember that moment? The desire propelled us onto the way of Jesus' life. And we've been looking at that throughout the series. We've, we've talked about different characteristics of Jesus. We haven't covered nearly all of them because he is so profoundly wonderful. We couldn't cover them all. But some of the practices of Jesus we've looked at is slowing down, being present, being attentive to God, practicing silence, solitude, embracing the simple way, delighting in the Sabbath. All of these things are practices that historically are they're referred to as spiritual disciplines. Now, how do you feel about that word discipline? <laughs> I love the varied response. I got one that said, it's good, and another just went, like a bad smell hit their nose. That's my first instinct when I hear the word discipline. I think of like a kid being in trouble, right? I, I have a strong aversion to that word discipline. And many of us, if you're like me, you might grow up in the church and you might somehow dilute the view of your faith to view it as simply a duty, just something that you do, just another box to check. There is nothing sadder than when we dilute our faith walk to a series of somber checkboxes. Today we're talking about how to experience a life of faith that is not a duty and it doesn't even feel like a discipline, but one that is ultimately a delight. Say delight. Desire and delight. Delight all starts with desire. Here's a guiding thought for us. As our desire for God grows, our desire for the world shrinks. We've been talking about embracing the way of Jesus that is so different than the way of the world. The reality is, as our desire for God grows, our desire for the world shrinks. I've asked you to do this before, but I want you to do it again. Take your finger, hold it in front of you, but stay focused on me. Keep looking at me. Hold your finger in front of you. Even if you don't like to participate, I'll call names. And now, as you're looking at me, you know that finger's there. Now focus on that finger. Now, you can still tell I'm in the background, right? See, that what we focus on becomes clear, and that what we don't fades. Are we focusing on the right thing? When we look to the life of Jesus, we see clearly what matters. And for us who always feel pulled back to the way of the world, we quickly realize that like an athlete, we have to be deeply disciplined to reach our desired goal. As we prepare to enter into scripture, another thought, disciplined living is disciple living. I don't like the word discipline, but I've been around long enough and engaged long enough to realize that discipline is very good. Ask any marathon runner. They might not fall in love with the process right away, but they fall in love with the end goal. And once they achieve it, they know discipline helps get them there. 
disciplined living is disciple living. And yes, those two words, discipline and disciple, come from the same root. Being a disciple is not something we do. It is who we are, which means we are also called to be disciplined. And again, it all starts with desire. Consider the words of the very first psalm. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, read the way of the world. No, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Our delight is in the word of the Lord, which is most vividly on display in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who invites us to delight in his restful presence. You know his great invitation by now, because we have said it every single week, the past 10 weeks or however long we've been in this series. Jesus Christ says to you, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus Christ is our delight. His great invitation has come out to you. Do you feel the desire growing within you? He says to learn from him, and later he gives us the guide on how to live it out with his great commandment, where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first. This is the greatest commandment. And the second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Jesus here reminds us to do what matters most as we are yoked to him and, and his creation, as we love him and his creation with all that we have. Blessed is he who delights in the word of the Lord. So a deepening love of God, by necessity, it will increase our love of our neighbor. If it doesn't, something's gone wrong. Yoke to Jesus. We love God. We love others with all we got. His great invitation, his great commandment now comes to you. Do you feel your values falling back? into the right alignment. And then after his death, and after his defeat of death, his resurrection, Jesus drives it all home with his great commission, where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. His great invitation, his great commandment, his great commission, and he is with you even now. Do you feel the easiness of his yoke? 
He has taught you and captivated you through his true word. Do you feel the gratitude and the joy and the hope of your salvation? And he has commissioned you to now go and share this life-changing news to the very corners of the world. And it starts right with your neighbor in this neighborhood and wherever God sends you. Do you feel the desire growing within you? I've asked that question several times throughout the series, and it has been deeply intentional because a life of faith, it is not a duty. It is not a series of checkboxes. It is our greatest delight. But we need to be disciplined in following our heart's desire. See, if you feel that desire growing within you, that's great. That's the first step. Desire is the very first step. I want to help illustrate this in a way that you might remember. So I have here a ladder. What is the purpose of a ladder? Yeah, to go, to go higher, to reach something you otherwise can't reach. That's exactly right. That is the whole purpose of a ladder. What's the purpose of a follower of Jesus? It's not to climb a ladder, just... It is to follow Jesus. It is to follow Jesus. The purpose of our life is to glorify God through following Jesus. To set our sights on things above Now, this ladder represents our faith walk. You see the diagram up there. This very first ring, rung, rung, not ring, represents duty. The duty of our faith. We know there are things in our walk of faith that we should do. These are the I shoulds. What are some of the I shoulds of our faith? Go to church. I should go to church. I, I believe in God. I should go to church. What else? Pray. I should pray. What else? Tithe. I should tithe. What else? Read the Bible. Yes. We have all these things. I should. I should. I should. There are these duties that we know we should do. We absolutely should read our emails from church. That's in Leviticus somewhere. (laughs) If we simply view our walk of faith as a duty, then we are in for an awful time, friends. For our walk of faith began with the very defeat of our own death. How dare us dilute it to a mere duty? How dare us? Our response should never feel that way, but should be a deep, heartfelt joy. But the problem is we have to engage in the disciplines, in the way of Jesus to actually experience that delight. Jesus reminds us throughout his life and ministry, God himself, he is the reward. God is the, our reward. There is none greater. The disciplines are simply a means for us to engage in, to experience the promised reward of God's self. See, the disciplines are not the duties of a good Christian. They're not laws either, or demands or requirements. The spiritual disciplines are merely conditions in which the joy of God is experienced. They get us there. The hope, the goal, 
It's to move us from viewing our life, of our faith, as a mere duty to be more disciplined. And dare I say, even a delight. And the thing that moves us up this ladder is desire. 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 You know your heart's desire. The psalmist knew our heart's desire when he penned that as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Our dear brother Travis just expressed this yesterday when he threw his hands in the air and said, Lord Jesus, come. As all else is stripped away, his heart's greatest desire is laid bare. He is ready for his Savior. Are we ready for our Savior? Are we ready? It is our heart's deepest desire. We have a desperation. This is our deepest need. We don't have to wait around to meet with God either because he is right here. He is with us. He is where you are, offering you his yoke and longing for you to delight in his presence. As your desire for God starts to grow, the hope is that your I shoulds turn into I musts. That's where the disciplines come in. Where, yeah, I should go to church, but, you know, I might not. Or I should go to church, but you ultimately don't. I should read my Bible, which we don't do a whole lot, to, wow, my desire is growing for who God is and what he has done in my life. I shouldn't just should do this. I must do this. This is of life and death importance. This is the stuff that matters. The mattering things of my life are here to follow Jesus, to orient my entire life around him. The disciplines are kingdom rhythms that hold the highest importance in our walk. What's the difference between a duty and a discipline, but increased desire and also increased intentionality? You don't just fall into discipline, do you? You do as a kid. You fall into discipline. But disciplined living doesn't happen by mistake. No one accidentally prepared for a triathlon, right? You are intentional. You start reading your Bible regularly. You put in plans in place. You find ways to hold yourself accountable. You set aside profound time to pray. These things matter enough that you long to be intentional and orient your whole life around the Jesus way. But we're impatient people. I'm an impatient person. You are likely impatient. And we usually don't stick around long enough to experience the fruit. We're not naturally disciplined as humans. Have you ever started a discipline for it to just fizzle out a couple days later? Have you ever had a New Year's resolution that went truly nowhere? Have you ever made a resolution knowing it was going to go nowhere? We are not naturally geared toward disciplined living. But just like a stew, you don't taste right after you add all the ingredients. There is work to be done as it simmers 
and the good stuff happens. And then after a prolonged amount of time of it doing what needs to happen, it comes to fruition. The same is true with fruit. We know the call to abide. We talked about that throughout this series. We know what Jesus says in John 15, remain in me as I am also in you. In other words, remain. Don't just check in. Don't just occasionally do it. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. It takes a long time for fruit to grow. Jesus specifically would be talking, uh, olives were very common in his area. Olive trees to be strong enough take pruning. And a lot of time, I think it's like three years until it actually produces a crop. Forgive me, I forgot to double check how long, but it's a very long time. We long for the fruit, but we're usually too impatient and lack the discipline to stick around to see it. In fact, you could say, for most of us, if you're anything like me, you get stuck between these two rungs, and it becomes kind of a step aerobics routine. You know what I'm talking about? Step aerobics? My dad used to do them. Yeah. And you go up and down and up and down and up and down, and you're getting exhausted, and you're never seeing any fruit. But if you remain in Jesus... If you remain long enough, you remain disciplined enough, not focusing on the means, but focusing on the end, then a few things happen. Your desire to be with Jesus will absolutely grow. Not just your desire to be with Jesus, but your desire to engage in these practices will grow because they're the means for you to abide in Jesus. Your prayer time will no longer be something you should do or must do, but something you get to do, that you delight in, that is the best, most sacred time of your day. And what else will happen? You will see fruit. You will see fruit. Your life will be changed as God does what he does. And because of your transformed life, he will transform others through you. That's when your discipline becomes a delight. So the question for all of us is, where right now am I falling on this ladder? First question is, am I on this ladder? And if I am, at this season in my life, how am I viewing my walk of faith? It's important for us to be very honest to name where we are. There's no condemnation here. There's no shame here. This is simply being true with ourselves before God Almighty. Because then, once we're aware of knowing the desire of our heart and remembering what we've been called to, we remember the disciplines are a means to an end. Nothing in this world matters more than surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. For the faithful follower of Jesus Christ, to follow him is our greatest delight. He is his own reward. Is it challenging to go up this ladder? Incredibly so. Incredibly so. Do hardships still come our way? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Suffering will come our way, but through it all, 
Because of Jesus, we can have a peace, we can have a joy, we can have a hope that surpasses all understanding because we are living in step with Jesus, knowing he is present, knowing he is at work, and we are doing what Jesus has called us to do. And a final disclaimer before we prepare to move to the table. Spiritual delight may at times revert to feeling like a duty. That's normal. That's normal. There's a lot of things that fall into that. But remember what we're talking about here. This is a routine practice of meeting with and enjoying the Lord. It's a relationship. And just like any other relationship, the feelings may flare up and they may get not snuffed, but go down a little bit, but you stick with it anyway. Not every morning devotional is going to move you to tears, and that's okay. That's okay. When it feels like a duty, simply stay disciplined, stay consistent as possible. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and it will become a delight again. Invest in your relationship with God as if it is the most important relationship you have, because it is because it is. So what's our practice? Where to start? This whole series, we've given you different ways to practice in this way, and these are just starting points. We, we do have a long list of resources we're going to be um, getting out to you, but I need Allison's help on it, by the way. Um, so we're going to be getting that out to you hopefully this week or next. Uh, but the whole series has been about following the way of Jesus, not the way of the world, to orient our lives fully around him. So where to start? Fall in love with God's word. If you don't view this as the most sacred thing in your being, this is where you start. Fall in love with God's word. And fall in love with prayer. For they draw us closer to the one who is our heart's desire. And every single follower of Jesus I have ever met said they wished they prayed and read their Bible more. (laughs) Don't let that wish go unfulfilled. Within this, remember that big doors swing on small hinges, okay? What I mean by that is small acts of faithfulness each day will lead to a faith-filled life. Keep your eyes on the end goal, Jesus. Every single day, small acts of faithfulness will lead to a big faith-filled life. And through it all, grace, 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 grace. And your path to delight in the Lord, remember his great invitation. Come to me. Remember his great commandment to love God and love others. Remember his great commission to go and make disciples. And today we know the good news present and all these things is right here available to us tangibly as a means of grace as we get to celebrate the feast of a lifetime. Jesus, whose heart is gentle and lowly. Jesus, who is the definition of love. Jesus, who has made a disciple out of us all, invites us to come and delight around his table. Because here we are reminded, we have the approval. We have the approval of our Father. Not because of anything we have done, but fully because of who he is. 
our God who sent his son, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect and blameless life. He showed us the way to live as he intended us to live as those created in his very image. And after living a sinless and blameless life, he took the entire sin of the world upon his shoulders and died so that all who believe in him may live. And the night before that great sacrifice, he gathered at the table with his disciples, with those that he was seeking to orient their lives around this new way of Jesus. He gathered around them. He looked them all in the eye. He washed their feet. He took their physical filth upon them as a sign of the sin he took upon him. And after giving thanks, he had taken the bread and he broke it. He said, this bread represents my body that I have broken completely for you. As often as you take of it and eat of it, remember me. Remember me. When we worship, when we pray, when we open his word, when we speak of his truths, when we talk to our friends and our spouses and our kids about Jesus, when we gather at this table, we remember Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And once they had finished eating, he had taken the cup, he blessed it, he poured it out, said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. As often as you drink of it, remember me. He poured himself out to the very last drop, that when his side was pierced, naught but water came out. He gave everything for us so that we might live. He gave everything for us so that we might be made clean. He gave everything for us so that we can rejoice and delight in his presence forever and ever and ever. This is the good news present at this table. It's a solemn reminder of the sacrifice of our Lord, and it is a great celebration of the grace of our God. This table is available for all who long to know this Jesus, for all who are sorry for their sins, who all who long to profess him as Jesus, Lord of all. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we prepare to approach this table with humble hearts, longing to be like you, whose heart is gentle and lowly. We prepare to approach this table, Lord, confessing that we have fallen short. We have viewed this life as a duty, not always delighting in your presence. Lord God, forgive us. But just as you sat surrounded by sinners at this table and you loved them anyway, you love us anyway. You love us so much you went to the cross for us. You took your sin upon yourself. You died the death you didn't deserve. You buried it in the grave. And you rose anew. And you promised that you raised us with you. 
we have not the words to say thank you. So we will approach this table as our act of thanks, saying, you are enough. Our delight is in you. You are our God. Thank you. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.